about that time for our Bible study to begin. Christ is risen. Amen. We're going to just jump right back in where we left off. We are on session four, day four, and we are at question 17. Day four of session four, question 17. This is much more of a kind of reflection question, but it might be interesting to see if anybody wants to share their thoughts. This is a follow-up to 16, who or what is behind and involved in our former desperate state. Question 17, following that then, asks, what do you read in the newspapers and what do you experience in your own life that corresponds with this, this description of human nature in the world in which we live? Perhaps a good place to kind of start to jog the memory since it's been a couple of weeks since we last got together. For 16, who or what is behind our former desperate state? Satan. Satan. The powers of the principalities of darkness. Pastor Poppy talks a lot about it. The unholy, the unholy trinity, Satan, sin, and the world. So, what do you read in the newspapers or experience in your own life that corresponds to the description of human nature and the world which we find ourselves in? Satan and hell at work within 
our world. So another thing is, and I, yeah, I can't say speak to your scripture and say you know profanity is um, is a sin. It, I go around and around with my son. Some of the comedians he watches, uh, they just, they cannot, not for a minute, not for a sentence or two without profanity. You know, Jerry Seinfeld spoke to that and said, you know, he never, he never resorted to that in his He might, uh, he might touch on some topics like we just talked about. Thank you. So, this is kind of an interesting question. It's, it's asking you to 
really read those verses carefully and see what big words jump out to you that describe God's action toward us in Jesus Christ. This is a this is a good verse because it's well beloved by Lutherans. Two of them are right there in verse four, right? Yeah, I wish two. Mercy and love. Mercy and love. So what's mercy? Getting something we don't deserve. You're getting close. Yeah, it's an act of it's an act of compassion. In the, in the story of the Good Samaritan, when Jesus talks about the Samaritan coming by, the man who had been beaten and left for dead by robbers, some translations say he had compassion on him, he had mercy on him, he had pity on him. All those, word, those words are very technical in the Greek, but in the English language there's a little bit of overlap. Mercy is an act, it's an act of kindness, it's an act of compassion. You're drawn to give them, give another person assistance. You would say forgiveness? God. If I forgive someone, is that an act of mercy? Or someone forgives me for something I did? I, I would say they're related, but they're not exactly, they're not exactly the same. God in mercy does forgive us, so God in his great compassion forgives, but the, the act of forgiveness of wiping away the sin, it flows out of mercy. Does that make sense? And then you mentioned love. Right. Love. My, uh, my daughter is in her toddler years, and uh, toddlers are pretty fickle and full of energy and get in all sorts of uh, crazy situations. And it's it's tiring. And sometimes it makes me want to pull my hair out. But I still love her. You know, she's going to try and put her finger into the electric socket. I pull back. God's love is unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's perfect. And what is the clearest example of God's love toward us? Christ, Christ where? On the cross. Christ on the cross. Jesus says, no greater love has a man for his friend than that he laid down his life for them. And Jesus laid down his life for us before we were his friends, before we were reconciled to God, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies. And yet, God still loved us, the Father still loved us so much that he sent his Son. We didn't do anything to deserve it, but God still did it. That's the kind of love that it's talking about here. And then, there's a final word for our little triad that we're going for. And it's another word that Lutherans really, really like. Grace. And grace is something that is undeserved. I can have mercy upon my wife and relieve her of chasing around her daughter and give her some grace. And she definitely, she definitely deserves that act of mercy. She deserves it completely. But we didn't deserve mercy. We didn't deserve compassion and kindness. We didn't deserve God's love. And it's it's a little, maybe a little silly, a little cliche. I'm sure I've seen posters of it in horrible, horrible, uh, you know, graphics and colors. But when I was a kid, grace was explained to me like this. God's riches at Christ's expense. And so grace is, grace is favor. Unmerited, undeserved favor. So when you hear in the services or as like a blessing, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the favor 
In the Old Testament, you hear a lot in the various prophets, in the book of Psalms, you know, turn not your face away from me, let your face shine upon us. In some of the older translations, in some of the older liturgies, you would hear that fancy word countenance, you know, someone's facial expression. They have a good countenance, you know, they're happy. Whereas if uh, you get in trouble as a kid and you look and your mom gives you the look, you know her countenance is not good. You know at that moment, you're not exactly in, uh, in her good books in her favor. But God's grace that he gives us, God's favor, it's unmerited on our side. We didn't deserve it. But Jesus won for us. God's grace and favor by his death and resurrection. And that's what Holy Week, that's what Good Friday, that's what Easter, all of that, that's what it was about. So it's quite nice that we're able to talk about it so soon after experiencing the joy of hearing God's word and celebrating the, the pinnacle of what Jesus came to do. Question 19. What three events in Jesus' life describe three spiritual effects God accomplishes in and with us through the events? And that tells us to go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. If someone could read 5 through 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. Thank you. So, what three events is it referring to here? If someone wants to go ahead and we can kind of switch over real quick to Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14, to help flush it out a little bit. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Thank you. 
very much. So we're, at, we're looking at what three events in Jesus' life describe those three spiritual characteristics we just talked about in the last question. I'll give you a hint. Two of them we've already celebrated. His death and resurrection. His death and resurrection. And then the other one, yeah. The ascension. The ascension. When's the ascension? Not like the date, but after Easter, how many days? Forty. Yeah. <clears throat> Usually, pretty much always, but always is on a Thursday, technically speaking. So a lot of churches transfer it to Sunday. And in some countries, Ascension Day, that Thursday is actually a bank and national holiday. Would that we would have more holidays related to the church calendar. So, right. But again, his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Now, his death and his resurrection, that seems pretty straightforward as to God's love, his mercy, and his grace and our salvation. What's up with the ascension? Skip ahead a little bit. What's up with the ascension? How does that factor into all of this? Did you just say, what's up with the ascension? Jesus. <laughs> what up, Joe? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Malini. Great dismissed. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it, to just... No, it's, it's, it's very appropriate. God, you're on the button, right? <laughs> That's right. So in the... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I get wrong? In the ascension, I think we know that God is eternal. Right. That he's got to live with God, so he's always present. He is always present. And in the creed, where does Jesus sit? At the right hand of God. That's right. So is Jesus uh, is Jesus confined? Let's see here. Is Jesus confined just to the right the right seat next to God? So do that little exercise. Look to the person to the right of you. I mean, they're right there in that spot. Is Jesus stuck on the right? Throne on the right chair of God, and that's it. No. No. He's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. The right hand of God is a place of authority. It's his throne. And where Christ's throne is, he's ascended to heaven so that he can live and reign over all the Christian church. Yes. We always say we're three or more gathered. Well, if so we are here with us right now because we're right. And it's a yes. Oh, I didn't remember. Uh, I had a disagreement with other very strong Christians, mm -hmm. and they very definitely believe that Jesus stays right there in the chair of the right of God. I mean, they're. Partially right, but they're also partially wrong. He is, he is there at the right hand of God. It's true, but he's also everywhere. Yeah, it's more an authority he's been given. It's not necessarily a position where he stays. In my mind, I see him everywhere. I see him. I don't see him sitting in jail. He lives and reigns at the right hand of God to give us forgiveness life, and salvation. And what God's word says happens. So when Jesus ascends into heaven and he gives that great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I commanded you. And lo, I will always until the end of the age. That's not just a nice Sentiment, a nice thought to encourage us on a rough day. It is a reality. Christ is present. He's present everywhere because he is God. He's omnipresent. He's over all things. And he rules over all things. But specifically, where is he present for you? Where do you know you can find him? God's everywhere, but where's God for 
also says, I'm going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I will send you what? The helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. If I do not go to the Father, the comforter, the paraclete, the Spirit, will not come. And so it's necessary not only that Christ be enthroned at the right hand of God in authority to live and reign over the Christian church and over all things, all things he reigns over until finally everything is put under his feet and he rules and he's all in all. But also it's necessary for him to ascend so that the Holy Spirit can be poured out in fulfillment of not only the prophet Joel but also what the other prophet says. That in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Because do we, do we muster up faith in our own hearts towards God? Who, who gives us faith? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, and enlightens and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. And He keeps it in Jesus Christ. So the Holy Jesus had to ascend so that the Holy Spirit did not only fall on the apostles to empower them for their apostolic ministry, but also too so that as the message of the gospel went out into all the world, we too, who I mean I don't know about you, I haven't met an apostle lately. I'm pretty sure they're all gone and dead. But the same word that they preached. That gives faith. I heard from my pastor growing up, even in the womb. That same Holy Spirit was given to the apostles, and when you read the book of Acts, they were baptized and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit fills you and gives you faith and strengthens you and empowers you to live and walk the life of faith as a child of God. So that's why the ascension is necessary, and that's why. The death, resurrection, and ascension are all really important when thinking about the grace and the mercy and love of God. Jesus says, you know, I and the Father will make my dwelling with you. Well, the Spirit is also part of the Trinity, so God is with you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Any questions so far? Well, I thought baptism was pretty important, too, besides... So I guess that's not one of the three things that we discussed. Mm -hmm. No, baptism is, baptism is very important. Because Christ was baptized, and that's one thing that God wants us to do. Right. And that's, and who's, so it's water and the word, and who's always attached to the word? Jesus and the Spirit. So baptism is one of the means of grace by which we receive forgiveness and life. So it is very important. And that is an act of God's mercy and love and grace. Because if we're having a rough time, if we're spiritually shaken, you know, I gotta have faith, I gotta believe, I gotta believe, oh, I, got, I gotta do this, I gotta make sure God loves me, you know, I gotta focus. No, 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 no. Even if you don't remember, I don't, I was, I was an infant when I was back. I don't remember the day. I got the baptismal certificate somewhere in my house. But I can say I was baptized on XYZ day. We can cling. We can cling to that. We can cling to our baptism as a sure and tangible means that we have received the grace, the mercy, and the love of God in Jesus. Just like whenever you go to the Lord's Supper, one of the purposes, one of the reasons that Jesus gives us communion is so that we have a tangible, physical means. Because God's pretty smart. He created us flesh and blood physical beings. We're spiritual too, but we're physical. And, you know... I can tell my wife, I love you. And I can say that over and over again till the cows come home. But, and um, some of the ladies and wives in here, please correct me if I'm wrong. 
If I come home with some flowers or some chocolates, or even better, say, you 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 go out and do something for you know a couple hours, and she comes home, and my daughter's asleep, and the dishes are done, and it may not be the greatest, but I try to fold the laundry. <laughs> is um is that a much better tangible expression of my love and affection to my wife than just the word L-O-V-E. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, not, not, to, not, to, not to put aside the guys too, we need those signs of affection too. But, as I said, so, you know, when you hear, when you hear the song, taste and see that the Lord is good, how much more tangible do you know God's love for you? When you hear the words, given for you, shed for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive onto your tongue and into your mouth the very body and blood of Christ that was crucified and risen for you. Thank you for bringing up baptism. Always good to segue into the sacraments, because word and sacraments, that's where, that's, that's where it's at. That's where God promises to be. But I could, I could wax eloquent the rest of the time, but we have 30 more minutes, so we should probably get through at least one more question. <laughs> oh, I'm so caught up in the spirit. Um, let me see here. We are now on question 20. Jesus has saved us. Now it's up to us to show how thankful we are. We do good works to thank and please God. Surveys reveal that the foregoing is how many Christians see the relationship between faith and good works. And so then it asks us to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and then it also has us jump around a little bit more. So before we get into dissecting that statement, let's go ahead and read the Bible. So if someone could please turn to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and then someone else wants to look at Ephesians 4, 24, and then another verse in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not by from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's work, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you. And does someone have the Ephesians 4.24? And did all of this unveil place, beholding the glory of God, or being transformed in the same image, one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Thank you. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18. Not up to snuff, 
You, you know what I mean? It, it's like a well-intentioned thing, but all it does is make you feel a little guilty in the back of your head. But we just read from Scripture. First off, in Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own works. It is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, and you were created to do good works. Now, so in other words, be <laughs> well, not, I mean, nice is kind of a broad, a very broad term. So if I said, you know, someone said a vicar, you know, he's a pretty nice guy. What does that really tell you about, like, it's not bad, but it's, you know, it's a little, Platonic, a little, it's like it's a word, kind of like, I'm sorry. It's not very specific. Yeah. It, it, it's like a, it's almost like a neutral word filler. And I mean, for the kids here, you need to be nice and you need to get along with everybody. But God doesn't always call us to be nice. God calls us, God has created us to do good works in Christ Jesus. And sometimes some people might feel like uh, that's. I don't know, not a nice thing to do. It is a good thing to tell people. It is a good action. You want to behold good work. To tell people about Jesus. You want to share the love of God in Christ. And you're commanded to do so. And that's a good thing to do. But do, does everybody always uh, perceive it as a, as a good thing? No. But, Scripture says, we, were, we are saved by grace through faith. So, our salvation, our justification, is not dependent upon our good works. Does that just mean that we're scot-off-free we don't really have to do anything? Or that we shouldn't love and serve our neighbor? No, because faith is talking about faith and that God gave you that that willingness to, to um, do things for other people. Good works. Yeah. Good works flow from faith. And there's all sorts of people in the world who do a lot of good things. Who help the poor, who save the animals, you know who spend, who donate tons of money to those late night commercials for desperate causes and they play the songs that make you cry. And those are, those are good things and we need good things to roll in society. But before God, before God, without, without what, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, that's right. So we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works Saved by grace through faith. And then we are being transformed from glory to glory. We are being transformed. Are we working on ourselves? I mean, I mean, you're the one living and breathing, right? So you're doing it, aren't you? I was just going to say, you do good works in response. We should just, we should just do it. We 
should be aware of it and know it, but we shouldn't think too much about it. If that makes does that make sense? Bingo, bingo. So we're doing it in the sense of vigorous talking. We're reading the Bible, you know. It's fair to say in that sense. But what's more important isn't the instrumentality of it. It's not, the important thing isn't that we are doing the thing. The important thing is, with the what's more important in an orchestra? The sound, the, the instrument itself, or the person who's playing or using the instrument? Yeah, the, the, the instrument or the person playing. Both. 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 But, yeah, but the sound is more important than either one. So, yeah. So, um, when I started playing clarinet as a kid, uh, if any of you have heard of clarinet, it squeaks horribly. But if you've ever heard an orchestra or a symphony, and these are master musicians, I can guarantee you, um, unless their instrument breaks and explodes right there, you know, the squeaks and the, the oh my gosh, is not going to be there. It's going to be beautiful. It's a necessary God, we are, we are God's instruments. We are God's Tools. We are God. Luther says we are God's masks, and we, He uses us to serve one another. God is working through us, and so while it is true to say you help the poor, when they ask you about it, you say not because I wanted to help the poor and think I'm such a great person. We do not love first. We love because Christ, God first loved us. Right? And it also talks about putting on the new self. What does that remind you of? We're in a costume. We're in a costume, yeah. But... Who are we clothed with? Christ. Christ. And where are we clothed with Christ? Where does Christ put on us? Baptism. Baptism. So it's baptismal language. So the baptismal life of a Christian, the life of a Christian is daily repentance and faith, daily contrition and faith. The old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned along with all sins and evil desires, and the new man arise to live before God in righteousness and in purity. God is working in and through us to serve our neighbors, our physical neighbors, the congregation at church, the beaten person you may find stranded on the road and you're put in that position to help them, wherever it may be. It is true that we do good works and we are called and we are created for them. We are created to love and to serve one another. But what's of primary importance, the first cause the thing that makes it actually happen. It's faith. It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. If you, have, if you have died to sin, and you live to righteousness, Christ has died and now lives forever to God, therefore you die to sin and live to righteousness. And that sounds a lot like, you know, do good, do good, do good. But it's, and that's true, but it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of proper teaching. You do good, not because God needs it, 
but because we all, we all need it. And God has created you and put you in your various places in life to serve the people around you in ways that only you can because I can take care of my wife and I can take care of my family and my friends in a much closer and better way than I could take care of your family and your friends. Does that make sense? God works in and through us. And God is the one doing it. And we are we're the instruments. We're potter, we're not potter. We're clay in the potter's hands. But if good works were so important to us, we would have to almost have a journal and keep track of all the good works that we did and say, oh, well, today I did this, this, and this. And what I'm thinking is that people, if you just say a kind word to another person, give it another thought, don't give it another thought, that could be one of God's greatest good gifts or good work that you did that day. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. It's a matter of emphasis and tension. So like you said, we shouldn't even be aware of it. We shouldn't think about it. And that's good. But for those who perhaps need a gentle encouragement, or perhaps they need a bit more sterner reminder, because everybody's at different, different parts of their walk in Christ, their walk of faith. So, in theology, it's called the third use of the law. And there's a lot of debate about it. But what it boils down to, the third use of the law, God's law, God's commands, is a guide to Christian life. And we are to encourage and exhort one another. And how that looks depends on, you know, where each person's at. That, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, you know, no, no. go back. The only thing that comes to my mind is I have had people say to me, well, today I went through the drive-thru mm -hmm. and I bought the people's meal that they had in my car ahead of me. And then another person was like, well, you're God is going to definitely be writing that down in his book, what you did. See, see, that's the thing. That's the wrong emphasis. Yeah, I'll hold you. That's the boss thing they talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's why I'm saying that. Yeah. That's why I keep saying we shouldn't even be thinking about right the way there's a good work that we perform. I don't even. And they don't need to be We boast in Christ, not in our works. Well, we like to give ourselves awards. Okay. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with if you helped out or any of us, you know, helped out another person and I saw it, you know, going over and saying, you know, good job commending them on that. But we don't we don't boast about it. We don't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. And it's the perspective is are we focusing in on our works because we want to get in good with God and others? Or are we focusing on them as a matter of we don't care about it. This is just, this is what a Christian does. This is what the life of faith does. Good works flow out of faith. A good tree produces good fruit. And what makes us good? What makes us bear fruit? The Holy Spirit.
But to, to bring it to bring it back, to, to bring it to bring it all in, God has created us to love Him and to serve one another. And God uses us and works through us by His Spirit to bear the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, to act in love and compassion and care to one another, to do the good works we have been created for. And we don't toot our own horn about it. We don't, you know, put this in the box or when we get to the pearly gates and we show St. Peter everything we did. We do them because that is what we are given to do. Not to save ourselves or to contribute, but because God has given them us to do, we have been created for them. And your neighbor, your neighbor needs them. And how that all plays out in the intricacies of explicitly saying right off the bat, I'm doing this because God commands me, or I'm doing this because God loves you, or not. Life is intricate, and we don't always know the weight of our actions. But that doesn't stop us from doing what a Christian does. A Christian living a life of faith toward God and love to our neighbor. <laughs> or walking when they went, you know. Yeah, and then the disciples went. How many times were they persecuted because of what they said? A lot of times. Yeah, there's definitely the message of the cross, the message of Jesus and salvation is offensive. That doesn't always mean you go about it in a way that you're pretty sure is going to rile them up or turn them away. You know, you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. But, when it comes down to it, if the cross, if Christ upsets them and offends them, that is between them and God. That doesn't change the validity of the message. Just like if they were to ask you, oh, you know, why are you feeding the poor, or why are you doing this? Can you tell them honestly? And you can say with complete honesty, you know, I care about the poor, I love you because you're suffering. And you can also say at the same time, but more than that, I'm doing it because God loves you and I've been put in a position to help you. Some people get all upset about that and say, well, why can't you just do something without worrying about God in the sky and do it just because we're all humans? That's between, that's between them, that's between them and the Lord. And that shows a misunderstanding of what good works are. We're not doing it to please God in the sky so we can get to heaven. And we're certainly not doing it because, you know, we don't care about you as a fellow human. We, we do. We do them because the life of faith has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized into Christ. And we live in the Spirit. And being empowered by the Spirit, being forgiven of our sins, we love and we serve our neighbor in all the various ways that life presents it. And some of those are much more explicit, sharing the gospel, serving the poor and needy in an explicitly Christian environment. <clears throat> and a lot of them, they may not be completely anonymous, but a lot of them aren't, aren't things that we think about. They're things that we just do. Because when the Holy Spirit has been given to us when we are given faith, when we live by the word of God and we read Mark and inwardly digest and we take it to heart, it just it flows out. It happens. <laughs>
to me about, you know, what we learned or whatever. I can't remember all the particulars. I just remember I was excited about what what I had experienced in church. And I was telling him about it. And this person says, why don't the Christians come to where I am? Why do I have to go to where they are? He says, like, you're talking about this, and he loved it. He loved listening and asked questions. And he said, but I probably won't be going to church, so why don't they come here and talk? And well, a lot of people do, though. They're evangelists. I mean, we went through that evangelism explosion in our church in North Platte, and we went out and visited people and shared our faith with them that were not believers. So there, are, there are a lot of evangelists that do that, I feel. I, I, feel yeah. I, I would say we're, we're pretty much at time, and this might be a good place to wrap it up, is that why don't they come to me? Well, okay. I, you know, I, I presume you knew them and maybe had some sort of relationship. Whatever. Why, why don't they come? Why, don't, why doesn't the church come to me? Well, I mean, okay. I, I'm here. Let me talk to you about these things. And slowly but surely, let's see what the Bible says. We are called to gather together as the body of Christ to hear his word and receive his sacraments. And the church does go out to all sorts of places. And the question, when that's asked, usually relies some sort of issue underneath. But that shouldn't stop us from saying, okay, um, I'm a baptized Christian. I'm a member of the church. Let's see what the Bible says. I'll talk to you. And if you're comfortable with it, I'd be happy to talk to my pastor and set up an appointment where we can meet somewhere and discuss it. God's word goes out. God's love and mercy goes out throughout the whole world. And we are created to bear witness. We are created anew in Christ, forgiven by his shed blood to be witnesses of his resurrection, to be witnesses of his love, and to do the things that God has given us to do in our everyday life, according to his word. Word about time. If I could just this something up in my mind, so saying what I don't have these
all of the wonderful things God has given us to do, to live, to serve, and to love, all the while remembering that Jesus has done it all. And he's working through us to share his love with others. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.